2: Hello, I'm Basha Cummings, and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. As the Ukraine war rages on, there's been plenty of newspaper reports and television reports about moments of defiance and protest in Russia, with a kind of hopeful optimism that an inflection point has been reached, that maybe, just maybe, Putin might finally be ousted or face serious opposition. And all the time, just as my own hopes rise every time I see those reports, There's a voice at the back of my head which chimes in and asks, is it really true? Is there a credible opposition waiting to rise up in Russia? Well, my colleague Giles Wattel has been looking into this and I'll let him tell the story, a tale of defiance and the trials of one man, Alexei Navalny.
3: This is the sound of someone violating their parole. Lying in a hospital bed in Berlin, Alexei Navalny is in a coma. He has been for several days now, after being poisoned by agents of the Russian state, secret agents and a nerve agent. It is amazing he's still alive. The dose was meant to kill him. It kicked in on a plane in Siberia and left him screaming in pain. And then, at the mercy of doctors too scared of Vladimir Putin... ...to do what it would take to save him. In Berlin, he's stable but unconscious... ...and, as Russian officials announce, he's violating his parole. Navalny is the first person in 17 years... ...to have seriously challenged Putin's power. The last well-known Russian opposition leader, Boris Nemtsov... ...was shot dead in front of the Kremlin... ...and he never even ran for president. Navalny did... Or at least he tried to. He ran on an anti-corruption platform in 2018 and on his own brass neck. He said things that other Russians only dared think. Putin is a thief. He's stealing my country. That sort of thing. In the process, Navalny became Putin's public enemy number one. After being poisoned in the summer of 2020, he was medevaced to Berlin and he spent a month in that hospital bed. A month filled with hallucinations, hallucinations of transforming into Dr Octavius from Spider-Man, scenes in his head like something out of fear and loathing. And by his side, throughout, was his wife, Yulia.
4: <inaudible> <inaudible>
3: to this day, Alexei credits Yulia with saving his life. As he convalesced, she would play him Duran Duran, she'd brief the press, and face down Putin. She stepped into his shoes. And, less than six months after his almost assassination, the two of them, Alexei and Yulia, did something remarkable, something that made the whole world pay attention and ask why. They went home. I'm Giles Wittel, and this week on the Slow Newscast from Tortoise, a tale of intimate defiance... The story of how Alexei Navalny and his wife walked, eyes wide open, into a trap. A trap that could kill them. Or, just maybe, if war continues to upend Russia's alternative reality, could catapult them into power. Putin's invasion of Ukraine prompts two big questions. One is whether he will win or be humiliated on the battlefield. The other, will he keep his stranglehold on power in Moscow, or could this war be his undoing? The answer to the second of these questions depends, at least partly, on the Navalny's. After his month of wild dreams, Alexei was released from hospital. The Germans confirmed it was Novichok. Another failed assassination using a poison from the Cold War. As usual, Putin was loudly condemned by Western governments for the attempted assassination, but not punished. Not that it was even an attempt, of course. Putin corrected the record a few months after Navalny got out of hospital. If Russian special services had wanted to kill Navalny. They would have probably finished it, but in this case, his wife asked me and I immediately gave the order to let him out of the country to be treated in Germany. This is a trick to attack the leaders. Well, if you say so, Mr Putin. A few days later, Navalny showed the instinct for publicity and for the jugular that made his name. He released a video in which, almost unbelievably, he and an accomplice... Used a prank call to lure a senior FSB agent, a member of Russia's security services, into confessing to try to kill him.
5: Константин. Алло, Константин Борисович. Здравствуйте. Меня зовут Устинов, Максим Сергеевич.
3: The agent's name was Konstantin Kudryatsev. The video became the second most watched clip on the Navalny's YouTube channel, just behind one shot five years earlier, in which drones revealed in garish color five luxury estates owned by the then Russian Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev. That video has since notched up almost 30 million views. Putin was already threatening Alexei Navalny with jail. And he now demanded a suspended sentence for parole violation. Parole violation, let's remember, while in a coma. Kafka wouldn't have dared write it. But that wasn't the point. The point was that Putin was throwing down a gauntlet. The Navalny's picked it up. How could they not? If there was a power couple in Russia's endangered opposition, they were it. They had dirt under their fingernails from a long street fight with Putin's thugs, or at least Alexei did. But they also had glamour. Good looks, two beautiful children, his charisma, her strength, their ongoing love affair. From the moment of Alexei's poisoning, Yulia had stepped up. She had got him to hospital in Berlin by demanding publicly that Putin let him go. She supervised his recovery. She and Alexei then, jointly, took their next fateful decision. It was simple, they said. Moscow was their home.
2: I'm not afraid to come back to Russia. We're absolutely coming back to Russia.
3: Alexei posted on social media, Russia is my country, Moscow is my city, I miss it. And so, on January the 17th last year, the world turned to watch as Mr. and Mrs. Navalny made their way to Berlin Airport.
6: A large crowd had gathered outside Berlin Airport and uh, everyone was waiting for Yulia uh,
3: and Alexei to arrive. One of the waiting crowd was Polina Ivanova, at the time, Reuters Russia correspondent.
6: And the plane boarded and Navalny had announced beforehand what, exactly what flight he would be taking. And the plane was filled with journalists. Um, the plane was packed. So Navalny during the flight he got on last sort of he did his initial few statements and then much of the rest of the flight was was spent with his wife it was a pretty heart wrenching and heartwarming picture at the same time I think they watched cartoons on their phones held hands and obviously anxiety grew as we
3: approached Russia before takeoff Alexei had posted on Instagram a clip of Yulia saying bring us some vodka, boy, we're flying home. It's a line from a Russian gangster film. It's not clear if she got any, but it might have taken the edge off things. Closing in on Moscow and whatever Putin had in store for them, the Navalny's watched an episode of Rick and Morty, the cartoon about interdimensional adventure and family. The flight was live-streamed in its entirety by DOJD, the independent Russian television channel. Hundreds of thousands of people watched. Quite apart from what was at stake politically, this was reality TV at its most real and intense. What were the Navalnys thinking? It's hard to know and almost impossible now to ask, but outwardly at least... They were fearless.
6: I mean, he had his usual approach to, to risk and danger, which is to be absolutely strident in his faith in himself, that he was doing the right thing. He spoke a lot about how, you know, Russia was his home. He absolutely had every right to return and that he was doing nothing wrong.
3: Reports from others on the plane said Alexei laughed dismissively when asked if he was worried he'd get arrested. He has a catchphrase now, Everything's going to be all right. Looking back, it's poignant, it's brave and it's naive all at the same time, almost unbearably so. Because even then it was pretty clear that everything was not going to be all right.
6: It was supposed to land in Vnukovo airport. And as the plane approached uh, and the lights had already been dimmed and we were going into our descent, the pilot came onto the intercom and said that there were technical difficulties. And then there was another pause and we could sense that the plane was turning and he once again came on, on the radio and said that we're going to make our way to Sheremetyevo Airport. He obviously knew that this was no accident and knew exactly what was going on on board, I think.
3: Throughout the build-up, Alexei and Yulia had been brazen about their plans, from announcing their return to Moscow to specifying exactly which flight they were getting. It was as if, having picked up Putin's gauntlet, they were daring him to take them on. To take them on and their public. It's about an hour's drive round the outer Moscow ring road from Vnukovo to Sheremetyevo. By the time they landed, there was already a sizable contingent of Navalny supporters and journalists waiting at Sheremetyevo. Putin may have denied them a Hollywood welcome at the airport where they expected to land, but they had still shown they could pull a crowd at a moment's notice at the airport where they did land.
6: If your question is whether it was a sort of victorious return, then then no, it was not. It didn't have that atmosphere of... It was an act of sort of protest and defiance rather than a conquering return, and partly just because everyone knew it was coming. Before we reached passport control, he stopped before a big picture of the Kremlin. And I think at the time you could see, you know, that was when the press huddle sort of gathered around him and you could see that it was something like 20 journalists had been on board with him, I think. And he did a short speech, effectively saying, again, that he's not afraid. This was the main sort of message. And then they walked to passport control where everything, um, yeah, where where everything took a turn for the worse.
3: They were met by a posse of men in face masks, white gloves and black uniforms.
6: that was a very emotional moment when he said goodbye to his wife and, and ultimately went with, with the border guards and kept asking them, sort of, are you detaining me? Are you detaining me? Is this a detention? Are you detaining me? He hugged his wife across the gate and they said goodbye and then he was taken away.
3: Left behind, surrounded by a flock of reporters, was Yulia Navalnaya.
6: I remember she wasn't visibly emotional. Yulia did not. She was calm, again, focused, and she just asked if she could have time to just process everything and gather her thoughts. And then when she walked out, it was a very impressive scene. There was a huge crowd in the airport, and there were people in the balconies above as well and applauding Yulia.
1: Applauding
6: she met uh, Navalny's brother, Aliak, who joined her and someone who gave her flowers. I remember her carrying flowers. And she walked out with them outside where it was, it was really icy cold and, and uh, people were waiting for a long time to
3: see her. It was five months since Putin had almost taken her husband with Novichok. And now he'd taken him again. And as he was led away, almost in real time, a new role opened up for Yulia. A role as an icon of defiance, of opposition, of resilience, if she wanted it.
6: And before getting into the car, she gave a short speech which echoed basically what Navalny had said just before,
4: <laughs> talking about
6: how she's not afraid and how Navalny is not afraid.
5: Uh, Yulia! 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 Yulia!
6: Yulia!
0: Yulia!
1: We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts
3: to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts. Alexei Navalny had, to all intents and purposes, walked straight into Putin's handcuffs. Left behind at the airport, surrounded by journalists and reporters, was Yulia Navalnaya, proud and defiant, like her husband, and mentally regrouping in his absence. Except that, in a surprisingly concrete sense, he wasn't absent at all. To follow the success of their FSB confession video, Navalny's team had another video that had been a long time in the works. It was called Putin's Palace. Putin, KGB, and it was an extraordinary expose, almost two hours long, of a presidential retreat on the Black Sea, said to have cost nearly a billion dollars. Front and centre, with Putin's grotesque extravagance as backdrop, was Alexey. Привет, это Навальный. И это расследование мы придумали ещё когда я находился в
0: реанимации. Привет,
3: это Георгий Албуров, И как вы могли
5: заметить, мы находимся немного в непривычных для нас условиях.
3: мы In this scene, three men flying another camera drone sit in a tiny inflatable on waters overlooked by a huge mansion.
5: меняли билеты, выходили не на своих
3: Putin's mansion in the middle of nowhere, on the scale of Versailles. The video caught fire online. More than 120 million people have watched it. Four days after its release, the streets of cities across Russia were flooded with tens of thousands of protesters. A week later, more protests... They were some of the biggest Russia has seen since 2012. That was when demonstrations against Putin's decision to reinstate himself as president for a third term spread far beyond Moscow and St. Petersburg. And among the protesters this time was Yulia Navalnaya. The fact that both Yulia and Alexei were physically in Russia at the time was hugely significant.
5: I think if he had stayed abroad, that would have been the end of him as a political figure.
3: This is Maria Lippmann, an academic and a pillar of Russia's liberal intelligentsia. For decades, a resident of Moscow, and now suddenly, she's an exile in Armenia.
5: For about 10 years, he demonstrated that he was unafraid of persecution, prosecution, harassment, physical attacks, that he was unafraid of being jailed. And after that, to stay abroad, you know, that, that would have been the end of his public image. Um, so was it self-sacrificial? This is something to ask of him. Did he expect that by sacrificing himself, by opting for coming back, knowing full well that he would be locked up probably for a very long time, did he mean that this would have invigorated the Russian public and galvanized protest, maybe?
3: Momentum was beginning to build, but it was no match for Putin's anger. Alexei Navalny, seen in a glass cage earlier today, awaiting the judge to announce his fate, Navalny was ordered to jail tonight for violating the terms of his probation. Less than a week after landing, Alexei Navalny was sentenced to almost three years in a penal colony. In a show of affection before he was led away, Navalny making a heart with his hands for his wife. On being sentenced, Alexei drew a heart on the barrier in the courtroom. It was a gesture of love, but also the gesture of the wives and girlfriends and partners of Belarusian dissidents who'd been jailed a year earlier, protesting against their tyrant, Alexander Lukashenko. At the sentencing, Yulia wore a red top, and that, too, was significant.
4: Well, my name is Katya Fedorova. Actually, I'm a fashion journalist from Moscow who used to write about skirts and dresses, and I used to work for Russian Vogue, Russian Interview, Grazia, and numerous others.
3: Crushed by the sentencing of Alexei, Katya saw in Yulia a symbol to rally behind.
4: We were so completely, like, destroyed by uh, that sentencing, and I felt like I have to do something. And the thing is, I'm a fashion journalist, you know. A lot of my subscribers are women and they're not into politics. And I felt like so many people are scared to go outside to protest. And I wanted to give them a way to show solidarity that wouldn't feel dangerous and would also feel understandable to them. If you know what I mean. And I took a picture and I wrote a post on my Telegram channel and Instagram that basically if you... We want to support Julia in that horrible situation,
3: just, you know, very rad. Tens of thousands of Russian women began posting selfies of themselves wearing red, a show of support, but also of hope.
4: A lot of women in Russia are apolitical, but they can't not feel for her. Just as women, as wives, as mothers, I, I, I think part of it is that. But I'm sure if she would want to go for off, run for office, like a lot of people would support her too.
3: Katya is one of many people who looked to Yulia in the hope that she might fill the void left by Alexei. Yulia's determination, her quick thinking during the poisoning, her quiet defiance since then, had caused a shift in the way that people both inside Russia and abroad began to view her.
2: Now, after Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny was jailed, support is growing for Yulia Navalnaya. The woman has been called the first lady of opposition in Russia.
3: Bloomberg ran a piece the day after the sentencing titled Alexei Navalny has a secret weapon, his wife. Vanity Fair called her Russia's real first lady. And Katya says it's no surprise that Russians saw in Yulia a new figurehead.
4: Julia, to me, is um, someone I look up to big time. And I think also because she remains as apolitical also as she possibly can in that situation, you know, because a lot of people urged her to run for office and things like that. And she never did that. And she always explains that this is my family, you know, this is my husband, I'll support him throughout, whatever. And I think that resonates with a lot of women in Russia, even those who are not into politics and things like that. So I think that's one of the reasons she became such an icon. For me, she's just someone I admire for her strength, for her resilience, for
3: the way she handles all this. Yulia was steadfast. She issued a statement to 60 Minutes, the CBS News show, insisting that she and Alexei had made the right choice returning to Moscow.
5: In her message, she said, returning to Moscow might have looked like a tough decision, a difficult choice to make. It was the opposite, in fact. What can be easier than coming back home to the place you love?
3: You can believe her. And at the same time, find yourself wondering if the Navalny's were playing Putin's game, not their own. Here is Alexei telling Yulia over the phone how much weight he's lost. He's on hunger strike. Six days in. His doctor is demanding via the world's press that Yulia be allowed to see him. It's two months now since the sentencing. The protests have died down. Putin, meanwhile, is making plans. Members of FBK, Navalny's anti-corruption organisation, are getting arrested. By June they've been officially deemed extremists. Those who haven't been arrested begin to leave the country. Censorship is tightened. There's a new law requiring that a government license be issued for anything that falls into the broad category of education. Open Russia, founded by Mikhail Khodorkovsky, the exiled oligarch and former advisor to Boris Yeltsin, is forced to close. Memorial, by far the country's most influential human rights group, is shut down. Two of the biggest opposition groups are gone, and so is Russia's conscience.
5: There is no opposition in Russia to speak of in political sense.
3: Maria sees the past year as a turning point in Putin's crackdown on the opposition.
5: Navalny's arrest pushed people to overcome their fear and join protests that were striking, in, the, especially in their geography, in how many places, how many cities and even smaller towns saw political protests. Apparently, the Kremlin was prepared for that and suppressed those um, protests with unprecedented brutality. And so the whole year of 2021 was marked by further crackdown on the media and further crackdown on the remaining freedoms and more severe punishments for those who still dared uh, defy the uh, the government policy.
3: Alexei's group and others like the sort of branch offices of Open Russia have been formally labelled... Extremists or terrorists, am I right? Extremist, yes,
5: indeed. Indeed. And, um, and what's worse, it, it's not uh, only the label itself which effectively eliminated the organization that Alexei Navalny and his associates had launched, but also anyone who in any way abetted this organization in financing it or in any way being associated with it can now be prosecuted as an accomplice. The new law is applied retroactively.
3: A 10-year project to purge Russian society of dissent is reaching its climax. At the same time, Putin is preparing to change facts on the ground and not just in Russia. It's late 2021. His grip on his own country has never been tighter and his tanks are massing on the border with Ukraine. On February the 24th, Vladimir Putin announced what to many people had seemed inconceivable, a full-scale invasion, war in Europe, again. All eyes in the past few weeks have been on Ukraine. But 60 miles east of Moscow, on the outskirts of a small town called Pokrov, the Kremlin has been waging another battle against Alexei Navalny. In a courtroom set up in his penal colony, Navalny has been defending himself against new fraud charges, which from all the available evidence are completely bogus. The real point is to keep Navalny out of sight and out of mind. The trial, like the war, has not gone entirely to the Kremlin's plan. A key witness called by prosecutors refused to testify and called the case absurd. Navalny's own team revealed that the judge had been receiving calls directly from the president administration, from the Kremlin, while in court. But state brutality is not so much about these bumps in the road as about the end result. Nine years.
0: ...maximum security prison for what prosecutors called embezzlement. And in the last hour, it's been reported that two of his lawyers who intended to appeal the court's decision have been arrested, though it's thought they were later released.
3: And many opposition figures aren't risking the same fate as Alexei Navalny. There is no new Navalny waiting in the wings.
5: Nobody can compare to him. His group uh, consists of people who are currently either in jail or in exile. And nobody can compare with Alexei Navalny as applies to his unparalleled charisma, his political and organizational talents, or his sense of humor or his ability to uh, bring people together around him. There are many talented people and brave people around Navalny, or should I say they used to be, because now, as I mentioned, they are either in jail or in exile. But no, uh, he was the face, the spirit, the soul of this movement, and he was the only one who claimed the potential, should I say, of being a public leader.
3: Two weeks into the war, Putin gave an extraordinary speech attacking liberals, the pro-Western middle class. He attacked them as a fifth column of traitors, as scum. It was a warning shot not just to big figures like the Navalny's, but to everyone who doesn't toe the Kremlin line. That includes people like Katya Fedorova, who fled on the day Russia invaded Ukraine. Putin called us traitors to the state and that we're not real Russians or whatever. No, I love my country. I'm Russian. Putin is crushing the opposition on multiple fronts. He's not just detaining them in Russia. He's dispersing them across Europe, Central Asia, the Caucasus, and the Americas. And he's driving a wedge between them and their families with his version of the truth.
4: I hope that in the future I'll be able to I don't know, build bridges, some sort of cultural cultural bridges with Russia and between people of Russia and Ukraine, which I think the war is horrible and people dying is horrible, but also the fact that like families are breaking apart and friends stop talking to each other, it's, it's insane.
3: If you were to locate the Russian opposition with a single pin on a map, you'd probably go for Istanbul in Turkey, Belisi in Georgia, or Yerevan, the capital of Armenia. But that wouldn't capture the fact that the opposition is now spread across the world. It has no real centre, says Polina Ivanova.
6: One place you wouldn't go to meet the opposition right now is Moscow at the
3: moment. Just it's, very, it's a very difficult place to be. It is a bleak picture. But perhaps that's why the Navalnys may still have power. After her husband was sentenced to nine years in a penal colony, Yulia took to Instagram she did something Putin has almost never done. She shared an image of her family. And she wrote, family is the strength of any normal person, and even more so of a real politician. That image, the Navalny's sitting at a table, their teenage boy doubled over laughing, is so very different from the images Russians have been fed of Putin these past 20 years. Macho. Maybe smiling thinly, more often sneering, and usually alone.
4: I think like we we forgot how it
3: feels to have like a
4: family. Um, the president is like who's a human being who has a family, and you can see them. And you know like like the Boris Johnson or Barack Obama or even Donald Trump. I'm sure people would, but I, I like to me, I thought about them like. Is that even possible? I'm like, yeah, it used to be like that. Of course, I remember Boris Yeltsin's family.
3: Perhaps the people who want Yulia Navalny to take up her husband's mantle are missing the point, not least because becoming an overtly political figure in Russia makes you a target. And part of Yulia's strength is in evading that net. Or maybe that's just what we all hope.
5: If you ask me, I would say that... There is a lot of wishful thinking, and understandably so. Of course, um, you know, many people looking at the horrible war, the horrific, horrific developments in Ukraine, that they really want this to come to an end, and in the end that would be to their taste. Members of Putin's close elite stay firm and rally around him out of fear, out of natural support for his policy. But, you know, if I sound pessimistic, I think you should remember that as a person of a certain age, I may not hope to see Russia free and Russia returning or moving towards something that would be a freer regime. I'm sure young people take a different attitude, and they may be right. After all, you know, Putin is almost 70. Most of those who are oppositionist activists or sympathizers are in their 30s and 40s. So they may actually have a different worldview and have a different outlook at Russia's future, not myself.
3: Maria may not see Russia again, but the Navalny's are still there. And even though Alexei is in prison, he and Yulia still represent the hopes of a younger generation for a new Russia after Putin. This episode was reported and produced by me, Giles Wittel, Matt Russell, Xavier Greenwood and Claudia Williams. Sound design was by Tom Birchall, the editor Was Jasper Corbett.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Slow Newscast. If you like what we do, you like our stories, you like our investigations, and you want to support us and you want to get more of what we do, then you can join us as a member of our newsroom. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use my code BASHA50. That's B A S I A 50.
1: Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.
3: How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man.
0: Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.